right. It is my great pleasure to introduce our special speaker to you today, who is a good friend of mine and is a good friend of many of you here at KPC. We have Norm and Debbie Przybylski with us. And Norm, if you'd like to come. Norm, Norm and Debbie have been um, out at IHOP Kansas City for about the past five years. Um, but they have been involved in missions for many years in different parts of the world. And their hearts burn to both raise up young people at, at IHOP, but really everyone, children as well, in the prayer movement. And a lot of time when I think of Norm and Debbie, I think, and I'm sure many people have said this to you, I think their marriage is literally like a prophetic sign of the marriage between prayer and missions. Debbie's written many books over the year on prayer. They've been involved with unreached pe an unreached people group in Northern Africa for many, many years. And the two of them are just the perfect combination of what God, I believe, is doing in the earth today. And Norm is going to tell you some more. So welcome him. Thanks, Tina. It's really a, a joy and an honor to be here this morning. And I'm also a little nervous. So, uh, but uh, we, um, I come from Buffalo, New York. I don't know, there's a couple Buffalonians here. Okay. And uh, I was from the wrong side of town, actually, and uh, was from a very difficult background. And in 1975, uh, at the height of my rebellion and uh, troubled teen years, uh, someone gave me a pocket testament. I started reading it in the beginning in Matthew, and I got to the Beatitudes, and as I was reading the Beatitudes, I, uh, I had a vision of a man <clears throat> who was reading the words that I was speaking, and the, the man I saw was so beautiful, so attractive, and, and so together, so much unlike me. And I had no idea what it was to be born again or to anything saved or something. But I, I said to him in my heart, I said, Lord, if you could do something with my life, I want to give it to you and uh, make it your own. And at that time, what I realized now, it was the Holy Spirit came into me. And it was a little later. It was about a week or two later after I joined the Navy. I was in basic training, and I was just devouring this little Gideon's Testament someone gave me. And this Baptist guy came up to me, and he said... He said, are you born again? And I said, well, I don't know. What does that mean? And he explained. I said, yeah, I guess I am. And uh, after that, uh, I was stationed here uh, in Little Creek, Virginia, on a little ship, and uh, began to be discipled by a couple of brothers who went to Tabernacle Church of Norfolk. And I don't know if you, any of you remember Tab, but it, was, it is a very missions-focused church. And it was about two years into my salvation that a mission speaker came and he said that many people are willing to go, but not many people are planning to go. And he said, if, you're will, if, you're, if you want to be planning to go, I want you to stand. I'll pray for you. So I said, okay, I'll, uh, me and one other person stood, and we said, we're planning to go. And it's amazing what the Lord does to get you on a fast track to do what he wants you to do. You know, when he really want, is calling you to do something, you're, you, it's a highway. And uh, from there, I went to Ecuador, South America, after my naval service, uh, served for a couple, uh, couple months there, uh, couldn't get a visa, so I joined the Operation, ship mobiliz uh, Operation Mobilization Ship, MV Dulos, where uh, a year and a half later I met my wife in Mexico, 
And we started dating in Chile and got engaged in Argentina and planned our wedding from Brazil. And we flew from the Canaries to Norfolk to get married. And she's from Minnesota. I'm from New York. We lived here in Virginia Beach for 15 years. Now we're in Kansas City. And we work in the Mediterranean. But we're going to heaven. We know that. So, so I told Steve, and I'm so thankful for Steve uh, letting us have this opportunity this morning because I, I told him I will not take more than 90 minutes. He said I could double that. And I said, but I have eight pages of notes. I'm going to do it in 30 minutes, okay? And uh, um, what I don't get through, uh, Dana has made copies of uh, the, the notes, but also we could airdrop them or drop them any kind of way you want them so that you have at least the text. And I'm not going to uh, ask you to open up to one specific uh, uh, passage, though I want to ask the AV guys if they can get that PowerPoint started up there. But what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make mention of a lot of different passages, and then I'd like you to make a note of those and go home and check them out for yourself. Um, what the Lord has put on my heart, and <clears throat> it was about two months ago, Dana contacted us and she asked if we would consider being here this morning. And at that time, uh, I began to think through uh, and plan what the Lord wanted to say. And it was just this morning that I put the final touches on it because I feel like there's so much that the Lord is doing. And these days that we're living in um, are such incredible days that can be interpreted in many different ways. But what we're, what we're seeing and we're perceiving, and this is where I want to go at the end of this, with the question, is the Lord doing something new in our days that we could not even believe if someone were to tell us? That's the question. That, that in the midst of the darkness that's coming on our nation, the, the troubles on the world, and we could go into great detail on those things, we have to ask the question and answer the question, is the Lord giving us a prescription for glory in the end days. And now this is missions weekend. And so obviously we're here to think about the great commission of making disciples of all nations. That was Jesus' command. And I remember Ralph Winter once saying that, go, that talking about missions in an average church, I'm not saying KPC average, but in an average church is like going to a hospital ward and saying anybody for tennis. Because uh, what he was saying is that there's so many people who are struggling in their own personal lives that how can you recruit them and send them to some of the darkest areas of the world to, uh, to make disciples of people there? We need a lot of discipling here in America. And so um, what, what we um, are perceiving that the Lord is doing in these days is he's giving a prescription that is not necessarily a new prescription. It goes way back into the Pentateuch, uh, starting with Moses, and I'm going to show you that. And it, it's... it's, um, it's evolving, you might say, all over the earth right at this very moment. And it has to do with the marriage of missions and prayer. And that's what Dana was alluded to. Debbie tends to be more the intercessor, spending hours a day in prayer. And I pray too quite a bit, but not like that. And I tend to be the apostolic person seeing the opportunities that are out there. But what is happening now in the world is that that people are, are, the missions people are saying that we cannot do this without the prayer people. And the prayer people are saying, we need the fuel of missions to fire up our prayers. They both go hand in hand. And it, it doesn't only go for way over there, we're working, working in a lot of those unreached nations, but it goes for right here. And the thing that is on my heart this morning 
is, is thinking about the Hampton Roads area where there's 3,000 plus churches. I don't know what the number is now, but I know 15 years ago there was, it was estimated there was about 3,000 churches. I ask myself the question, are there Davids among us who are willing to give everything they have to burn a candle of worship and incense day and night until the glory of the Lord appears among us? That's the direction that I want to go with this today. And so, um, uh, like Dana said, we, we moved to Kansas City uh, five, over five years ago, and we're with, our mission is the Elijah Company, but we're partnered together with the International House of Prayer, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But what I want to look at this morning are three things. Uh, number one, that the, darkness, the darkest age that we're passing through right now will reveal the brightest light. The second thing is that the perspective, like we, we're talking about perspectives here, the perspective comes through prayer. And the third thing is, what is a 24-7 house of prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David? So let's look at this. The darkest age will reveal the brightest light. Um, during the end times, wickedness and glory will both reach full maturity. And where we see that is we, first of all, in uh, the next slide, please. It says in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2, Arise and shine, for your light has come. Now, how would you interpret in the Hebrew what it means, arise? Well, the Beatles, they said it best. Wake up, get out of bed, drag a comb across your head. I'm sure there's not many people who remember that song. but uh, Arise is an alarm. It's like, you know, we have our iPhones or alarm clocks at the side of our bed, and they... they they ring in the morning, and they stun us out of sleep, and we pound them so they go off. But it's also like a, like a fire engine coming down, down the highway, and you think, well, it's way off in the distance, oh, I could keep driving. But then when it gets right on your tail, and they start to pull that horn, ah, ah, then everybody scatters and makes way. Well, there's an alarm sounding like a Joel 2 kind of alarm throughout the earth, uh, where, the, where the Lord uh, spoke through Joel and said, sound the trumpet in Zion. Uh, call a holy fast. Call together the elders and the children. Stop all the normal things you're doing. Get out of the way and, and call out on the Lord during this time. These are the times that we're living in now. We're, we're living in a Joel 2 alarm period. But he, uh, Isaiah says, he says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Now, we know Jesus said that you are, he said, I am the light of the world. But then he said, you are the light of the world. And so those of us who have been born again of the Spirit of God, we have the light of God living within us. Now, it's clothed, it's, it's veiled in these, these garments of the flesh. And so it's concealed from us. But I, I read somewhere and it said that if we were to have the opportunity to see the glory of the Lord that's in any average believer. We would fall down our say, on our faces in awe because of the glory of the Lord in us. Number one, that we're made in the image of God, which is precious and innumerably honorable. honorable. But secondly, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so I don't think there's any reason why any one of us should, should walk dragging our, our feet and having slumped shoulders because the glory of God lives within us. 
So he says, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. But then he confirms what we know to be happening in this day. He says, behold, darkness covers the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. And so we hear it on NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, and all these other websites, and, you know, the terror, the predictions, economics, militarily, sociologically, all these things, the world is crumbling under our feet. But our feet are founded upon a rock that does not crumble. And so he says deep darkness covers the people, but the Lord rises on you and his glory appears upon you and nations will come to your light. And so the, the one thing that we want to take away right now is the fact that as the world is crumbling and, and those outside the church, those outside of Christ and the covenant, that they will lose hope in the false gods they put it in. And they, they will be coming to those who have maintained their hope and they'll ask for answers for the hope that we have within us. So that's the first thing. Now, I'm saying that the, uh, there will be a maturing during our days of both wickedness and glory. And so we see that in the parable of the tares that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 13, 24 through 30, he said that there was a parable of, of a kingdom, a man who sowed good seed in the field, and you know the parable, and then the enemy came at night and he sowed weeds. And the, the servant says, well, should we go and pull up the weeds? And the, the, the farmer said, no, because if you pull up the weeds, then you'll also pull up the wheat. And so the, both of them had to grow to full maturity. Now, this is wonderful and exciting and it's terrifying at the same time because uh, what we understand is that wickedness we see this in other scriptures as well Matthew 24 for one of one of them but that wickedness will continue to increase it will continue to grow and the things that we've seen we see happening right now are probably still in the infant stage of what they will become the the murder the cruelty the the human trafficking and everything that we know that is happening, it will increase. At the same time, the glory of the Lord will be rising on his church, so the maturity of the church will also be growing. Now, I want to encourage you with something that's kind of negative. Uh, when uh, some, some of you remember George Miley, uh, he, he spoke at church and he's been supported by KPC several, quite, a, quite a while. And uh, George used to work with us uh, in Operation Mobilization, he was our leader. And we always looked at George as being like, wow, you know, this guy is like next to the Pope. He is really spiritual and wise. You know, you, if anybody, any of you know George, you know what, that's, what he's like. But we, we went through difficulties, not between George and us, and George and Hannah and us, but in, in the work, in the mission. And many times missionaries go out, and you know it, they get mashed up and... There's a lot of accidents and a lot of misunderstandings. It's a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle. And so that happened to the Miley's and to Debbie and I. And when George came here to speak one time uh, some years ago, I, I thought, well, I'm going to get some of his wisdom, get a perspective on this. And I said, George, why is it that we went through all that stuff? You know, what happened? What could we have done differently? And uh, George thought about it, and he shook his head like he normally does. And he says, you know, Norm, we were so immature. And I thought about that, and I says, yeah, that's the truth. That's how it is. And the sober reality 
is that even those of us who are most mature in the body of Christ these days are still in the maturing process. I don't want to say immature, but many of us are immature. And the, the Lord is using the times that we're going through to bring us to a place of maturity. And sometimes that's difficult. But there's one other factor that plays into this, and that is that what we know about the coming world order and the leader of that world order, the Antichrist. And now I know that there's different uh, persuasions in, in the church in regards to the, the tribulation and rapture and all that. I have my opinion and everyone else has their opinion, but that's okay. But um, what we know for sure is that the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will be a man who will be more wicked than any dictator who has ever lived in the world since the, since the beginning of mankind. Uh, that he will have more military resources, that he'll have more technology, that he'll have more information, that he'll have more finances, that he'll have more charisma, that he himself will be Satan incarnate. And so now we're going into these days, whether you believe we're going to walk through them or whether we're going to be taken in the midst of it or after, irregardless of that, but we're heading into these days of great difficulty and trial. And so what it calls for us, it, it calls for us to understand what is God's prescription for these days that we're living in. And that's what I want to get at. The perspective that we have comes not from ABC, but the perspective has to come from the place of prayer. I remember reading a, a poster years ago, and I, I Googled this and tried to find it where it came from. I could, never saw it again. But on the poster, there was a, a picture of the sun setting and the, the horizon becoming dark in a little sailing ship. And across the top of it said, there's a glory that shines in darkness. To see it, one must merely look. There's a glory that shines in darkness. To see it, one must merely look. You want to go to the next slide? I told you that uh, I was in the Navy. This is my ship, USS Preserver, a glorious ship. It was the ship that uh, the Navy put all the misfits on, and I happened to be one of those misfits. I was a brand-new Christian, uh, I think only about less than a year old in the Lord when I went out there in 19, early 1976, uh, and it was a salvage and rescue ship. In uh, November 1996, we, uh, we were leaving the port of Athens, Greece. And, you know, in those days, men were, uh, ships were made of wood and men were made of steel. Remember those days? And how we navigated, there was no such thing as satellite navigation at that point. There was a chart and a compass and a thing called a sextant. And a sextant was this uh, instrument you held in your hand. And I'm sure there's a lot of nautical people here who know this, but... You, you get your bearings by shooting a star. Okay, so those were the three ways we navigated. Well, we left the day after Thanksgiving, Athens, Greece, and uh, right away we were hit by what is called a bora. A bora is a northwest storm through the Mediterranean that has sometimes hurricane-force winds. And uh, we hit this, and uh, we had two barges in tow. One actually sunk, and, and we were heading out of the Mediterranean to get home by Christmas, uh, and we weren't even sure if we had enough fuel to get to, to Spain because the, 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 
the rolling that we were doing was giving us wrong readings. So anyway, this went on for a couple weeks, and we were really sick. I mean, seasickness on a ship like this, you do corkscrews and 45-degree rolls, and in the night, in the day, eating if you could, and whatever else. And so finally, we, uh, we got to Rota, Spain, where we offloaded our remaining barge, and we uh, refueled and got provisions, and we headed out into the Atlantic to try to get home for Christmas uh, in 1976. And as we started out into the Atlantic, we hit another storm coming. It was a North Atlantic storm, and it battered the ship. Uh, there was times when waves would just come right over the whole ship, and we'd have to make our way to the top again because it wasn't such a big ship. We had big engines, but not such a big ship. But um, we're, we're going on and on, and because of the clouds... We had a chart and a compass, and we had a sextant, but because of the clouds, we couldn't get our bearings. And because of the winds and the waves, we, we were lost. The captain said, we don't know where we are. We're not going to get home for Christmas. Now, the guys who were these really good sailors that I worked with, uh, they were kind of disgruntled. So some of them came to me knowing I was the Christian. I was the God's representative on the ship. And they said, hey, you got to pray that God would get us home for Christmas. So I, I said, okay, you know, and um, our prayers are kind of weak because we are weak people, but God, in, God who hears them is strong, you know. And so I was praying, and then on, the morning, on December 23rd, no, it was actually on December 23rd, the sun broke, the, the clouds broke, and we saw the sun. And that night, we were able to get our bearings from the stars. And on December 24th, we saw the early mornings of December 24th, we saw way on the horizon in the distance a light, and it was a lighthouse at Cape Hatteras. On that morning, December 24th, we sailed into Little Creek Harbor, shut down the engines. I got my sea bag that was already packed. Someone was waiting at the end of the pier uh, with an airplane ticket and a ride to the airport, and that by, by that afternoon, I was walking up the driveway, the snowy driveway in Buffalo, New York, to see my family. And it was, it was really a miracle, but the, the issue is here that we are facing this type of storm. And uh, we, have a, we have a chart, the Bible is our chart, and the, the Holy Spirit is the compass. But what the Lord, I believe, is calling us to do is to seek that heavenly perspective continually. And it's not something that happens just 45 minutes a week. It's, it's like we're asking the Lord to open up the portholes of heaven. And that in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the tragedy, the chaos that's happening in the earth, that there would be places where the glory of God is resting and these places would be places of refuge. That's the direction we're going in. So there's, there's three perspectives that we can have in relation, you know, you think about this storm. Number one is the world's perspective that we talked about, the doom and gloom, and things that are really happening, things that we should be concerned about. The second perspective is, like we're going to be learning about this afternoon at, at Acts 13, that it's the perspective on the world Christian movement. What is God doing? God is doing so much. So many phenomenal things are happening in the earth. And uh, anyone who takes perspectives will walk away and they'll say, wow, I want to be involved. I got to be involved one way or another. But the third perspective that goes along with this is, is, the heaven, is heaven's perspective, is, uh, is seeking God with our whole hearts. Now, 
I was saying that Debbie and I moved to Kansas City, Missouri to be part of the International House of Prayer. What happened uh, in the beginning with the International House of Prayer is that 30 years ago, there was a brother who began to prophesy about a prayer movement that would envelop the whole earth before the coming of the Lord. It would be a 24-7 prayer movement, and it would be uh, mostly uh, young people, but not totally young people, all young, young people. And uh, this prayer movement would be uh, musical. There would be songbirds, he called them, who would be singing prayers to the Lord day and night without, without stop. And part of the prophecy was that the prayer movement would have its beginnings on Harry Truman, President Harry Truman's farm in Grandview, Missouri. And another part of the, the prophecy was that there would be, there was a lot of prophecies, but these were just a few of them. There would be young people in the rice paddies in Asia watching these young people pray and sing on their handheld unplugged television sets. This was 30 plus years ago. And so these were just a few of these prophecies that came to pass. But what we understood is that the Lord was making it perfectly clear that he has a prescription, that he's revealing to the church something that he wants to do and our response to it in these days that would bring glory and give us a, a perspective of heaven. And I'm going to get to that. And so what we're calling it is 24-7 worship and prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. David said in Psalm 27.4, he said, I've asked the Lord for one thing. This is what I desire. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life so I can gaze, get a perspective at the splendor of the Lord and contemplate in his temple. David, they say, was a part-time king and a full-time worshiper. Moses had the tabernacle in the wilderness, and the scriptures say it was a sketch of the heavenly realities. David came 450 years later. He was schooled in the Pentateuch. He knew the Torah, and he understood about the tabernacle. So when he uh, was anointed king and took the throne, his first act was to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David, which was right outside Jerusalem. And it was there that he obeyed the command that the Lord gave him through the prophets, that he would hire musicians and singers who would keep the lamp of worship and praise burning day and night. And so this is what happened. During his tenure, there were 288 singers and 4,000 musicians employed in full-time occupation along with the intercessors in the Tabernacle of David. Now, Debbie and I, um, we were in Jerusalem. We stayed with some friends a couple years ago. And we stayed at just right above the Hinnon Valley, which is um, uh, the southwestern corner outside the city wall. And from there, you could see the city of David where it was, and you could see the Temple Mount. And uh, you could hear, you could imagine that in the time of David, before there was jets and cars and buses and all these other things, that during the night, 24-7 watch, that there would be songs being sung, psalms being sung. And you could hear it echo throughout the whole valley. And any traveler coming through would, would be drawn into this worship. 
And this was David's pursuit. David's pursuit was not fortune, fame, or power. He, it was, his pursuit wasn't to be a king. His pursuit was the heart of God. And that's what happens when we come into the presence of God and when we, when we seek his face for more than just bringing our list with 20 petitions or 10 petitions, but we, we understand prayer to be an upward gaze, a fascination with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, to know the one who was the creator of the earth, to know the one who is the sustainer and the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and to know the one who will come. And we join together with him and, and, the, and saints all over the world crying the last chapter of the book of the Bible, even so come Lord Jesus. This is what he's doing in the earth in these days. So I'm not getting too far in my notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, this is the 24-7 in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. Now, in Kansas City, going back to that, it's been ongoing 16 years nonstop, 24-7. Since that time, uh, there, it's estimated that there's been somewhere around 10,000 houses of prayer generated, inspired, not under the structure organization of Kansas City and National House of Prayer, but by the inspiration of the scriptures in the Holy Spirit. So we know of many, uh, for example, uh, in, um, in the Middle East, we know that there's about 50 houses of prayer and there's 25 in Egypt alone. Um, I'll show you a couple pictures in a minute. Uh, yeah, go ahead and show that next slide. I'm getting ahead of myself, but go back one. Oh, okay, got it backwards. Okay, go with that one. Uh, Sukkot Halal, that, this is a 24, this, there's four 24-7 houses of prayer in Jerusalem right now. This is one of them. Our friend Rick Ridings uh, pioneered this. They have 24-7 worship and prayer right there, right outside the city walls. And uh, they're seeing a, a great move of God between Palestinian youth and Jewish youth coming together as one new man. It's a marvelous thing. Go to the next slide. I'm just giving you a couple examples here. This is the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. That's Debbie praying on the mic there. And this is actually our Spanish set in where we pray every week for the Mediterranean Rim Nations. Uh, and over here, many thousands have come and uh, have gone out from here. And we're, we're there to train intercessory missionaries to go out to some of the darkest areas of the world. Next slide. Yeah, this is the one I wanted to show you. These are three Papua New Guinean leaders. They were in our house a couple weeks ago. And uh, Debbie and I were in Papua New Guinea in 1989 and 1990. We spent about seven, seven eight, eight months there. And we were in places where 100 years ago, almost to the date, they cannibalized the missionaries. They ate the missionaries. And since that time, through many faithful missions and missionaries, uh, there's been a transformation in the nation. And these brothers are part of the prayer movement where they started a house of prayer in Garoka, Papua New Guinea. And it goes 24-7. And listen to this. The government of Papua New Guinea is supporting the house of prayer. And so it's the, it's the only country in the world that we know of, uh, the only country that we know of that is like the Tabernacle of David in that the funding for it comes from tax revenue. And now this month, uh, one of the uh, ministers uh, from Israel will actually be going to Papua New Guinea to help them celebrate their 40th year of uh, independence. 
And so uh, we believe some prophecies are saying that from the east, from the islands of the east, the Pacific, there will be a wave of glory coming over the earth. And uh, you would hardly imagine this a few years ago. Next slide. Uh, this was a project that we had in the Sahara Desert. This was an abandoned church building. And we went way into the deep in the, Medi the uh, Sahara. And we had uh, five Spaniards, five Americans, a Canadian, and uh, El Salvadorian, and a few others. Uh, and we partnered with the local workers there, about six of them. And we had eight days, eight hours a day of worship and prayer in this place. And the people group, who's an unreached people group, some of the leaders would come and they'd sit outside the building and we'd say, why are you sitting outside the building? Say, they said, well, we feel so much peace here. And then on Res Resurrection Sunday, uh, we saw a number of answers to prayer. So we, we invited our friends from this people group to come and celebrate with us the resurrection of our Jesus. And about 30 of them came. We pitched a tent on the beach. We drank tea with them like they do. And many of them said to us, we believe just like you do. And so there was the conception of the church during that time. Next slide. And this was part of the team that was with us. Go ahead, next slide. Uh, this was the Campo uh, 247 that we had in uh, 06 and 07, 30 days of day and night prayer in southern Spain, which Spain has been a difficult country spiritually, if you know that. But we, we, uh, we saw about three or 400 local believers, which was about three-quarters of the total population of believers in that whole providence, come together 30 days along with about 70 from outside and there was some from the church here that came also Terry and Jerry and Steve and some others Karen and uh, Bob and Mo and uh, we prayed day and night and there was a glorious movement of God and a couple years ago I was uh, with a group of pastors who were part of that and uh, they, they asked me to say something so I blurted out I said well what's, what are you guys doing in regards to 24-7 prayer you're supposed to do it and they were all silent. It was like I dropped a bombshell. And uh, one of them spoke up, and he said, Brothers, do you remember <clears throat> those days of 24-7 prayer, how glorious it was to have the presence of God with us? And he said, do you, do you realize how difficult it has been since we stopped? And so we see, you know, how prayer invites the presence of God. Uh, next slide. And just one more slide, and then we're going to move on. Okay, well, the next slide was about something that's happening right now, right at the foot of the Washington Monument. In, oh, sorry, this is Virginia VA 247 we had here in 07 to celebrate the 400-year anniversary of America. And then next slide. This is happening right now at the foot of the Washington Monument. There's a tent established. Uh, Uh, there's a tent, it's called David's Tent, and young people, YWAMers, I think, pioneered it. Uh, and they are praying 24-7, around the clock, uh, until the elections. And uh, they got permission of the Parks Department, but now the Parks Department said they have to take the tent down while the Pope is there. So we're still trying to figure that one out. But uh, they also, uh, they also uh, have scripture reading they have a podium that's uh, facing the White House, and they have someone reading the scriptures around the clock. But they have to unplug the amplifiers after 10 o'clock because they don't want to wake anybody up. So that's David's tent. And you're welcome to go there. If you want more information about it, you could contact Debbie and I, and we'll tell you more. And uh, so these are just some of the things happening. Now, I completely lost track of time 
Anybody want to tell me what time it is? Okay. What time do we stop? What time is it? Okay, I got 10 minutes. All right. Um, where I want to go with this is two things. Number one is, like I said earlier on, is to answer the question, is this a prescription from God? I say prescription because we, we have to ask the question, is it a thus says Lord? Is this something that God ordained from the beginning that the church would rise up into to fully reach its potential during the most difficult times on the earth, to bring in a, a last harvest? And I, I asked that question with two things in mind. One, the nations of the world where we're working where there's still 1,170 unengaged, unreached Muslim people groups. That's just one segment of the population that needs to be reached. But, but then uh, the other thing I'm thinking about is right here in Hampton Roads, Virginia. There's a prayer room in Fredericksburg that's going 24-7. There's one in Washington. There was one on the peninsula, I think, that's still going to some degree. But, and there's, there's some segments of it going here. But I want to ask the question, are there people here with the heart of David who are, who are called by God, who are willing to take their place on the walls of intercession and seek the Lord along with others in the unity of the Holy Spirit, lifting up worship and praise to have that incense on the altar so the presence of the Lord would dwell among us in a powerful way? Are those the, that's the question we're asking today. Let me just rush into this and we'll close here. That we say, well, why 24-7? Why the spirit of the tabernacle of David? Real quick. Second Chronicles 29, 25, God commanded it. God told David. God gave earlier on the pattern to Moses of the tabernacle. Number two, God's promise to restore David's tabernacle signifies an end of the age movement of God leading to a great harvest. So when the scripture is mentioned twice, you better pay attention to what it's saying. So in Amos 9.11, interestingly enough, 9.11, Amos 9.11 is reiterated by James in Acts 15.15, 15, where he says, he quotes, he says, After this I will return and I will rebuild the fallen tent of David, and I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. And you could look at that, what that means, the fallen tent of David, in many different ways. But what it, what it means is it's establishing the throne of David again on the earth. And who's on the throne of David? The Lord Jesus. So that's one of the other reasons. The third thing is that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. When, when we praise, the presence of God is manifest among us in a special way. So this morning as we were singing that song, these worship songs, it's the glory of the Lord. But imagine if there was a, a, an altar of worship and praise going 24-7 in Kempsville where, where we were inviting the glory of God to come and dwell among us. That's the idea of a 24-7 in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. So there's a Japanese translation that says that when people worship, God puts a big chair among them and comes and sits down. But, but this also, it magnifies God, that a house of prayer is a spiritual observatory. It takes us on a high place, just like these um, observatories they have out in Arizona, where you go up on a high place 
and you're away from the, the light pollution of the world, and you're able to gaze at the universe out there in a clearer way than anywhere else. The house of prayer is a spiritual observatory like that. And so what it does, it doesn't make God any bigger than he is. God is infinite. But it enables us to see him bigger. It magnifies the Lord. So the scripture says, come and magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The, the fifth thing is that he, uh, it um, prepares us for the coming of the Lord. The parable of the ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. The foolish let the oil in their lamps run out. The bridegroom came, and they were in the dark. The five maintained the oil in their lamps. They were waiting for the return of the bridegroom. This is what the house of prayer is, a fueling station uh, for believers. Uh, the house of prayer also, and I won't get into this very much, but I mentioned it, it's a place of refuge in times of difficulty. It's when our hope and our light is shining in the midst of darkness that it's just like when you have a light on your porch at night, what happens? All the bugs come to it. And the same thing, all the strange creatures of the earth will come to the light in the midst of the darkness. The, the next thing is that it supports God's purposes and plans for establishing his millennial reign in fulfilling his purpose and promise for Israel. So he says in Isaiah chapter 62, For Zion's sake I will not be silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her vindication shines brightly. And then further down it says, I post watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, that they should keep praying all day and all night. You who pray to the Lord, don't be silent. Don't allow him rest until he reestablishes Jerusalem and makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. And so to see these places of prayer raised up to, to beseech the Lord to complete his purposes and plans for Israel. And then, lastly, my favorite thing is that a house of prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David imitates the heavenly throne room. And so what we have is we have John's revelation, which is a revelation that the Lord made clear that we might know what he's about to do. And so we get through the first part, and then we get into the second and third chapter, which are messages to the church. But then we get to the fourth and fifth chapter, which gives us a vision of the heavenly tabernacle. And in the heavenly tabernacle, we see a lamb seated on a throne and a multitude that no one can count around the throne of saints and angels. Now, like I said, the saints are glorified. So even the, the least saint there is glorious. And then there's angels, one of which destroyed 185,000 mighty soldiers. And so you have these angels in, that are glorious. And these are all around the throne of God. And day and night, day and night, they, they look upward, they gaze upward, and they cry, holy, holy, holy. And they never cease. And so someone would say to us, well, that would really get boring being in a church service for eternity. I don't know. I can't understand it except to say that I know that from him and through him and to him are all things. And so that every one of our greatest desires and hopes and, and, and aspirations, everything that we ever dreamed or hoped from is encapsulated in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see him somehow, after a million years has passed by, we'll still want to be in his presence. We'll still want to be beholding him, and, and maybe a million 
and 200 years from now, a new revelation will come forth of who he is, one of his characteristics, and all of heaven will fall down on their faces and say, glory. I don't know how it's going to work, but I have some ideas that God is so great. But his power alone, if you think about it, that if you were to calculate the amount of power that God exerted in simply creating all known matter right now, it would not even be a minuscule fraction of his power because his power is infinite. His wisdom is infinite. His love is infinite. Everything about him is infinite. And this is the one who we want to gaze up. This is the perspective that we want to get. And so I go back to what I say in the beginning, the, the scripture that I read. It says, church, arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth and darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise on you and his glory will appear to you and nations will come to your light. And so the question I want to leave you and I, this is something that will take some ongoing discussion, is the question, is this a prescription, not only for Kempsville Presbyterian Church, but is this a prescription for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of Kempsville, in all of the South Side Hampton Roads, in, in all of the of Hampton Roads in Virginia, in all of the world? Is this a thus says the Lord? Is this what the Lord is doing?